A guy spots a sign outside of a house that reads, Talking Dog for Sale. Intrigued, he walks in. So, what have you done with your life, he asks the dog. I've led a very full life, says the dog. I've lived in the Alps rescuing avalanche victims. Then I served my country in Iraq. And now I spend my days reading to the residents of a retirement home. The guy is flabbergasted. He asks the dog's owner, why on earth would you get rid of an incredible dog like that? The owner says, because he's a liar. He never did any of that. <laughs> <laughs> So today, uh, we're going to finish up the Now Faith Part 2. How many chapters is in Hebrews? Is it 13, I think? So we're yeah. we're nearing the end. I've already started on our next uh, study that I feel the Lord has really impressed upon my heart, and it's uh, the Way of Kings. And uh, it's probably going to be a little bit different. You may not get like notes per se, but I'll probably give you guys maybe an outline so you can still write things down and keep it in one place. Um, mainly because there's a lot of scripture as we start learning about the different kings, and I just want to highlight specific points. And uh, so I'll give you the references, the story. We may read them in the study, but uh, I've noticed there's specific things I want to, and I just quite frankly got bored. The way I was doing it, I'm like, I'm bored with this. This is, I don't, yeah, so I, I'm going to, well, you know how in the past I've done this where I teach out of my own notes, like all my handwritten notes, and those are like, and I think that's probably what I'm going to do. But I want to give you guys something. So uh, today won't take us long, but over there I wanted to, you know, it is Father's Day. Uh, I guess we should say non-birthing people day. <laughs> Would that be politically correct? A non-birther, you're a non-birthing? Yeah. Um, no, it's got to be a participation uh, day. non <laughs> No, it would be participation. participation. Okay. Birthing participator day. I'm going to be that participation award. Get a trophy. Yeah. And uh, uh, but speaking of stupidity, um, I'm about to launch a uh, podcast July 4th called We the Deplorables. And I'm going to tackle uh, topics like stupid stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but mainly it's going to be to bring the mind of God. And some people are like, well, how do you know you got the mind of God? Well, it's all written right here in the Bible. And uh, so we can obviously get his mind because he put it on paper. But addressing some of the issues. Uh, and I, there's a, been a, a little bit of a shift of plans. Um, I'm still formulating one aspect of it, but uh, basically the purpose of it is going to be to address the issues that Christians are wondering about. There's more and more stuff. We've abdicated uh, our role in society, and a lot of people have no idea what's going on out there. Uh, like Mike was reading, it's probably an epoch, huh? Uh, about the Antifa and the Proud Boys and how you know, they... Antifa basically picked a fight with the Proud Boys. Proud Boys have been called white supremacists. That's not uh, accurate. Uh, but basically they said, you created us. They were telling Antifa, you created us. And so we're headed to a civil war. It's already started to a degree. If the church doesn't step in or the ecclesia, I like that term, doesn't step in. 
And uh, then they also did a, a poll. I believe it was a Pew Research poll. I'm not sure. I'm going to try to find it. They asked Americans what they really want, what they feel is threatened, what they really want in our country, and they said faith, family, and freedom. There's still more of us than there are the crazy people. And uh, the initial topics will, number one, be why the podcast and kind of give a foundation for that. Then I'm going to get into BLM. Now, BLM is actually falling apart because they're corrupt like any uh, Democrat-ran organization. Now, well, it's a corporation. It is, and it's funded by George Soros pre predominantly. Um, but the witchcraft aspect is what I'm going to tackle. We're going to yes. dive into the witchcraft and the actual rituals they do because too many Christian pastors, they call themselves Christians, I'm not sure, um, support actually BLM and critical race theory. Hence, you know, the word theory means it's a theory. They're trying to teach it as fact. We'll get into critical race theory. Uh, the uh, other one I'm going to get into is cancel culture. Where has that come in? Cancel culture is actually a religious demon. And uh, so we'll get into that, some of the victims and what we can do. We're going to have good news. We're going to have recommended reading. Um, things that people can, you know, we're going to get into all kinds of stuff. There's actual trigger words now, like if you hear equity versus equality, okay? Democracy versus republic. We're not a democracy in this country, but they're pushing that. So there's just a lot of things, like I have a list about that long probably in my notes. And um, so I'm excited about that. I feel that's part of the strategy the Lord has given me, a, you know, a, a three-pronged strategy. That's one aspect of it. But Christians need to wise up. Uh, we'll probably get into COVID and how that was arranged. Lots of different things. If you guys think of anything or any topics or anybody that's watching on Facebook that they would like discussed, let me know. And we'll get into it. Uh, it's not going to be overly spiritual. We'll actually discuss, you know, things today, uh, current issues. But we're definitely going to get the word in there, and uh, even probably some of the prophecy that the Lord has shown me. So. There's different things going on there. Uh, July 4th, I thought that was a very reasonable date. Uh, it'll be a, probably a weekly. Uh, and then, over in uh, in worship, uh, because it's uh, Daddy's Day or non-birthing uh, celebration day, I wanted to just remind everybody of how good Father is. Birthing participator. Birthing participator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You could take that all the way from the bedroom to the birthing room. Well, you know, whichever you want to do. Mike just dropped his paper. Uh, but but uh, so the Father is good all of the time. And, you know, there's a lot of doctrine that's been created around experience versus Scripture that makes him appear that he's not good all the time. You know, like you even have an insurance... Uh, documents, right? It says acts of God, that they don't cover acts of God. Um, you know, you got people that if they die, uh, well, God must have wanted them home. Uh, people quote that scripture, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of the saints. That word precious doesn't mean he's happy when people die because he came to defeat death, which he did. It means costly. So every time someone dies, it's costly. Maybe they have an impact they've not yet fulfilled. Maybe they have a cure for cancer. What, whatever it is, he doesn't like people dying. 
and uh, but we've created a doctrine around that. So there's all these you know things. We've got another one where you know I used to believe this until I, I knew better. There's a doctrine that you know Jesus came to protect us from Father. You know, like he's just waiting to judge the world. He's waiting to bring his wrath. And so Jesus was like, you know, trying to, y'all have heard me hold them back, you know, those people that fake fight, you know. And you can tell <laughs> people are like holding them back barely, you know. Well, that's an idea. God is the judge and he's just waiting to destroy America and destroy you and destroy this and destroy that. And Jesus is like his middleman trying to, hold back his wrath and all that nonsense and uh, so I like to tell people that Jesus was father's idea and I wanted to read a few scriptures that he gave me over there <clears throat> just to let people know how good he is how for them, them he is you know we live in an orphan planet it's full of orphans uh, and they're not just any orphan their orphans have been abused by an abusive father that's the devil because until you're born again, you have His nature. That's the whole point of being born again, right? You have to be born from above into the exact image of Jesus Christ, who is the exact image of Father. So if you want to know what Father looks like, you just look at what Jesus looks like in the Gospels. It's that plain. And, uh, and so uh, we have to be born again. And then because we were trained in our thinking by an abusive Father, there can be fear. There can be mistrust. We're not quite sure how this new father works. Is he good all the time? Uh, are we okay being vulnerable with him? And, uh, and so that's where the renewing of the soul comes in, where you begin to learn. By the way, this is really interesting. We'll learn this in the, the Goodness of God study. Uh, if you've already started reading your book, you might be to this point. But in the chapter, Bill said, there's two main Greek words for the word will. So like it, where you have the scripture where it says it's not God's will that any perish, that is his absolute unchangeable will. And there are specific places where he says his will and it's unchangeable. No one will ever be able to make him think differently. But where it says in Romans 12, 2, uh, be renewed in your mind, blah, blah, blah. Do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed in your mind. Uh, so that you may know uh, the perfect will of God, what is acceptable, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That word will there is his desire. So you have his concrete will that will never change. And then you have the dreams of God, the desires of God that he wants done that are dependent on us. Now, is God dependent on us? No. But what he did is he opened the door of opportunity for us to participate and cooperate with him. Plus, and this is very important, God is not in control. He's in charge. He gave us the earth, right? So he will not violate that original covenant that he gave. Therefore, it, he made himself. Um, I, I want to be careful here because he is without need of anything. He just submitted to the word that he gave and that was the earth belongs to us so i thought that was very interesting and our job is to renew our thinking so that we can we can discern what what is your desire here what do you really want to do you know like his will is everybody be healed that's never that will never change um does everybody get healed no does everybody get saved no but that does not change that's his will right 
So with us, what are the things, you know, the word father, the desire actually, of sired, desire means of the father. So whatever desires and dreams you have in your heart, those are probably the things that he's wanting to do through you according to Romans 12 too. So the scriptures I wanted to read is Galatians uh, 3 and 4 in the Passion Translation. It's really good. It said, May God's undeserved kindness and total well-being okay, that uh, flow from our Father God and the Lord Jesus Christ be yours. I mean, I love that. God's undeserved kindness and total well-being that flow from Father God and from the Lord Jesus be yours. He is the anointed one who offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He has rescued us from this evil world system and set us free just as the Father desired. Okay? So that's in Galatians. Uh, I actually started at 3 because that word undeserved kindness and total well-being is a very interesting way to phrase that. And then the other one is still in Galatians. It's chapter 4. And I tried to find the specific verse. I couldn't find it. Um, if I can later, I'll maybe post it in the comments of this video. But in uh, Galatians 4.4, 4, it says, But when the time of fulfillment had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Yet all of this was so that He would redeem and set free those held hostage to the law, so that we would receive our freedom in a full legal adoption as His children. And so that we would know that we are His true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, My Father, My true Father. Now we are no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're His, we can access everything the Father has, for we are heirs because of what God has done. And so the time of fulfillment, what that means, guys, is obviously there had to be uh, certain things in place for Jesus to come. Uh, the Roman Empire had to be in place uh, based on uh, uh, Daniel, I believe, chapter chapter 7 through 9. Uh, there had to be roads of which people could travel to deliver the good news. Uh, there had to be uh, certain even people in place uh, in different conditions. But the main fulfillment that he saw was if, if you... Say it out in the original language, it's this. <coughs> Mankind was getting to the point where God was going to have to execute His wrath. Like He had to do with the flood. And He promised us He would never do that again. And so, what He saw was, instead of having to send judgment, He had formulated a plan from the very beginning to send forth an answer where we were helpless in our sin, there was no way to save ourselves, he said, I, it's time, I'm going to send the answer, and that is, I will become man. I love that idea, because we always think of him, again, just waiting to, you know, kill us for whatever it is, and yet, instead of doing that, which we fully deserved, he decided to send an answer and a response. And he was motivated out of love. And then you have Romans... The final one, chapter 5, 6 through 10. For when the time was right, 
the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now would anyone dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And I want you to see that. Christ proved God's passionate love. Uh, that right there is just incredible. And there's still much more to say of His unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, You are now righteous in my sight. Right? We've talked a lot about that. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to Himself through the death of His Son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in His resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? And even more than that, we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living reconciled to God all because of Jesus Christ. So that right there, He had to make us righteous so we could then become part of the family. That's it. And doing good works never makes you righteous. It's only being born again. So I just wanted to um, remind people Father's Day uh, is a really special day, and we have a good daddy. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, well, here's something that Christians need to understand. Bad circumstances do not necessarily mean that you're being punished by God. Often what happens is we make a series of decisions that then lead to bad consequences that's actually all of our fault. In fact, a lot of times we don't even need to blame the devil. I think he gets blamed for quite enough. The word discipline is it's where we get the word disciple. It's a, a learner. If you look in John 15, I'm about to give you all a hint here. The way Father disciplines is through His Word. Because in John 15, uh, let me just see if I can find this for you. Uh, he told the disciples, it was about pruning fruit, right? And how God will, He'll prune you. I think so. That he'll prune fruit. And, um, okay. Um, hmm. No, not quite 15 unless it's just a little bit different. Uh, I thought it was maybe 5. Yeah, so if we go up to uh, verse 1. I am the true sprouting vine. I think that's interesting. And the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. Isn't that interesting? And pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. That word cleanse is the same word that's used for pruning. The words I have spoken have already pruned you. So the way he prunes is with the word. So a lot of times, you know, like in the past, if all of a sudden I had a vet bill or if all of a sudden I had, you know, some unexpected expense, I would think that the reason whatever happened happened that led to me having to spend money on something I didn't really want to spend money on or whatever it was, it doesn't necessarily have to be money. Oh, I must be being punished. No. It's your dog need to go to that vet. 
That was some church doctrine. Oh, that's church it? doctrine. Yeah, you're sick because you you must have done something wrong. And uh, so now I realize that actually that has nothing to do with it. Now, if you don't hear his word, then what will happen is the branches that he would have lifted up to hopefully bring life back to will eventually wither and die. And there will be a slow regression, a slow death, and there will be more and more and more consequences to the decisions and more severity. I mean, i got a warning. Anybody, I don't care if you're a pastor, if you're a business owner, if you run a nonprofit, if you're a housewife, if you're a, a student, if you have hidden sin, you better stop. Because God is right now, He is exposing. He's just exposing it all. And uh, so people that think they can get away with no matter how small, and then you get around people and you act all Mr. Jesus-like or Mrs. Jesus-like, and yet you've got, and, and especially guys, sexual sin. People better be careful with that. Sexual sin, drug abuse, being abusive to your your family, all of those things are going to start coming out and there's going to be a big fall. And so the more, um, what's the word, the more influence you carry, the greater the fall. And so God is not playing games. He never has. But I think that we are entering into a time where the clock is ticking down. And uh, so then you have, okay, well, if God is good all the time, what about Ananias and Sapphira? God had nothing to do with that. They lied to the Holy Spirit. The minute they lied to the Holy Spirit, the enemy was able to come in by the decree of the apostle and take them out. So we're getting into a place where we better wise up. But all that being said, the majority of the discipline the Father is doing with you is through His Word. And even if He has to give you a sharp rebuke, there still is that love that surrounds it, and so it doesn't cause harm, right? So I just wanted to bring a little bit of some, uh, you know, information here about the father and how he disciplines and he's not abusive and he's not like a lot of people have dealt with well and i'm going to bring it in from even uh like a farmer okay if you have let's just say tomato vines and you need to pinch off the suckers the little the branches that aren't fruitful and there are an inch long you reach out there and just pinch them off the plant never realizes it's missing them right but if you let them get you know, as big around as a quarter, and they're, you know, three foot long, then we, if you need to go and cut them, there's a little more healing. Yes. There's a little more uh, shock to the plant. There's a little bit more. So, you know, if you feel like it's just, um, you are, are being really rebuked and you're being uh, judged, I don't know what you call it, it's probably because you've let your your little sucker get way too big. Where, yeah, where he, where he was trying to nip it in the exactly. bud through the word, there was a, a refusal to listen, exactly. or you maybe didn't recognize it, and now all of a sudden you feel the sting yes. of the cut. Another thing is even fruitful branches, especially on vineyards, if they're allowed to just go crazy and grow as long as they want, they'll actually sap so much energy from the vine, it can kill it. So even where you're bearing fruit, he's got to cut it back so that it doesn't, you know, kill uh, everything else. Just an FYI, my uncle used to have one of the, the biggest um, apple orchard in New Mexico. Mm, okay. And did, I did not know until he was telling us, but when it goes to put on the fruit, there's something you could spray on there and it would drop like every third apple. 
so yeah. that the other apples can get nice and big. Okay. And, um, Almost like a laser focus. You know, one of the things yes. I teach my clients is if your attention is going all these different directions, you're dispersing your energy, but as soon as you hone in on that one thing, all the energy is now able to go to that one thing. Yeah. Okay, very good. And uh, I love this. The, uh, Kathy, I think maybe we need to put, upload the file or something to the website. Uh, Faith Produces Action that Kathy put together for us uh, with all the scriptures of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, faith brings and becomes, empowers, moves, translates, opens, motivates, embraces, operates, creates logic prompts, inspires, enables, stirs, pulls, provides, fastens onto, imparts, and sparks. Imparts and sparks. <laughs> so if anybody wants that, and that is the that is the passion Bible. Because I don't know. you've got up there. I do not know if um, every translation does that. starts out okay. that way. But you got scripture references yeah. and some passion. Okay, so speaking of the passion, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, 17 through 19. Uh, again, this should not take us too long um, today. So uh, it says in uh, verse 17, Faith operated powerfully in Abraham, for when he was put to the test, he offered up Isaac. Even though he received God's promises of descendants, he was willing to offer up his only son. For God had promised through your son Isaac, your lineage will carry on your name. Abraham's faith, and here's the logic, made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead and symbolically that's exactly what happened. Now I want to point out something real quick here. Faith made it logical. Uh, a lot of times and one of the pet peeves of people that don't know God is they think that Christians are like faith based only uh, that they're you know ignorant, they don't, they're not you know intellectual, they don't have an ability to think uh, in a logical manner or a reasonable manner actually people of faith if they're using faith correctly get smarter and faith provides the ground for the intellect the mind to go places it would have never gone to in fact Kenan Bridges I think is his name when he got born again uh, his IQ was either 80 something or 90 something and uh, by reading the Bible he is now I believe at 120 uh, if not more, which is, that's at now genius level, because when you're at 120 above, you're at genius level. And uh, so faith is never to make a Christian stupid. However, the other side of that is, we're not going to take the world's logic and reasoning if it is in conflict with faith. Actually, the way today's logic and reasoning go, goes, it's even conflict with science. You know, gender and all that stuff. So people of faith are not stupid. Uh, they are people that rest on logic. However, like this says, faith made it logical to him. Uh, faith will never uh, subject itself or submit itself to logic. Logic logic must always submit itself to faith. So I love how that is phrased. The word promises here can literally be translated in the Aramaic as he received the royal proclamation which is the Aramaic word for promise. So this is interesting because Abraham interacted with God as a king. Now, when a president, but especially a king, 
makes a royal decree, that's it. It's settled, right? So he, that's how he was interacting with him. I think sometimes we interact with God like maybe he's a senator or, you know, a representative. Let's all vote and see if we want Right. <laughs> so once the Lord makes a royal decree, that's it in his mind. Our job is to come into agreement and to begin to cooperate, which is exactly what Abraham did. <clears throat> so this reveals that what you receive from God is determined upon your level of understanding of who he is. So over here in uh, Matthew, and I believe it's chapter 16, this is not in your notes, um, I think it's Matthew 16, 19, but let me get that for you. I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation. Okay. Actually, it's verse 18. So he's talking to Peter and he says, I give you the name Peter a stone, and this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my ecclesia, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be uh, able to overcome it. Okay, on this rock will be the bedrock foundation. The bedrock foundation is a revelation that he was the Christ. So some translations, and it may be the New Living, I'm not sure, put it as upon the, the foundation of who I am, I will build my ecclesia. So the way you view God determines what you receive from Him, and it's so crucial. So again, like we were discussing, if you uh, view Father as a judge and as someone that's just waiting to bring his gavel down, guess what? That's what you're going to receive from Him. You're going to filter everything that happens to you through that. If you view God as Santa Claus and He's just there like a slot machine to get whatever you want, then that's how you're going to view God. You'll become a little spoiled brat. So all of those perceptions of Him can cause problems. The only perception of Him that doesn't cause you problems is the real one. And that's why it's important to view the Scriptures. Like, if you look at the uh, Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of His uh, kindness, His mercy, his love, it's always been about faith in there. He, it, they've always been justified by faith, always. It was never the law. Yet, it's a violent history. People are like, well, you know, why did he just command that they kill off women and children and even animals? Because of the Nephilim. Because of the giants. Do your research. If you look at every nation where he said you got to get rid of them all, it was because they had giants. If you look at why he said not to touch Edom, they were killing giants. It was either Edom or Moab. He's like, don't mess with them because they're killing giants. They had giants back then. And so that's, they, their bloodline and their race was perverted. And I'm not talking about people that have a disease now that makes them grow. I'm talking about hybrid beings. Okay, So it's not that he was like, kill them all because I'm racist and I don't like the color of their skin. They were corrupt. Then you also have entire nations that were so pagan and so crazily corrupt. He would show them mercy. Like Manasseh. He was the most corrupt, evil, wicked Satanist that ran Israel. And on his deathbed, he repented. And he'll be in heaven. 
So it had to do with giants. It didn't have to do with, you know, all the other stuff people attribute. This is why it's so important to, you know, dig around and find this stuff out instead of making up stupid doctrine that doesn't even exist. So you have to see him as he is. So the understanding of who God was to Abraham created, and this is important, a powerful operation of faith in his life. However you see him will produce the kind of faith you have. If you want God faith, you've got to see him as he is. If you want faith that he's a judge, then you'll have faith that he's a judge and always see him as wanting to hurt you. So the revelation of who God was to Abraham created a powerful operation of faith in his life, making anything including a resurrection from the dead, or anything but a resurrection from the dead, illogical. There's even a deeper truth. Okay, so where it says, he considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That word, figuratively, is parable. It's where we get the word parable. And it's a feminine noun from parabolo that means to compare. So it's a parable which is placing side by side. A parable, now get this, and this is going to bless you guys today, is a short story under which something else is figured or in which the fictitious is used to represent and illustrate the real. Okay, when God spoke in parables, Jesus, and it spoke, he spoke a parable to them, typically it's a short fictional story. But when he says there was a man now he's referring to something real. So when he was talking about Lazarus that would eat the crumbs off the table, right? He said there was a rich man who blah, 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 and then Lazarus, and he had sores, and he would, you know, sit under the table and take the scraps from the rich man's. Well, the rich man goes to hell. So does, the, the, so does Lazarus, because back then, paradise and then the place of the wicked were in the same location, Hades. But there's a, 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 is it chasm? Yeah. I always want to say chasm. Chasm, right? And Lazarus went into the, uh, Abraham's bosom. The rich dude didn't. And he wanted Abraham to tell his family, hey, find you to straighten up so you don't end up here. And Abraham's like, no. First of all, I'm down here too. You know. Second of all, they wouldn't even believe me anyway. See, a lot of people are like, well, how could God send good people to hell? It's belief. It's always belief. You wouldn't believe God if He showed up. How do we know that? Because in the end, even with Jesus Christ on the earth after tribulation, you're still going to find people that are going to follow the devil. Right? It, that will never produce faith. And so, he, the, the, but the point is that that was actually a real event. He was describing a real event because he did not put it as a parable. So if you ever wondered that, there you go. Okay. Now, you can also say that a parable, parable is a symbol or type of spiritual things in Christ. What this is saying is that Abraham was living out a parable. He didn't realize it, but he was. He was living out a parable when he received his son Isaac back after the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham. In fact, the entire story is a parable. But here's what I want you to get. This is what I want you to walk away with today. And it's in bold. Sometimes you might find yourself in a strange place in life that just doesn't make sense. Delay. The opposite of the promises God has spoken to you about. Paradoxes. 
the weird place of tensions between what you're called to but living in the exact opposite. Could it be that you're living in a parable? A short story for others to read and be encouraged and where your faith makes it illogical for anything but God. Part of our chapter in our book, maybe? Now, if you find yourself in a weird situation, step number one, rebuke the devil and break his influence off your life. But if things continue as is, you're probably in a parable. So then what happens is your response to the parable has to be faith. Because other people are watching. Other people are seeing. You have the power to inspire faith in that other person that maybe is going through the same thing. The other reason for parables too, and this is not in your notes, but it just happened. The other reasonable, just happened on the inside, is to unveil another aspect of God you don't know. Because that's exactly what happened here. Abraham is walking out of parable. He has no idea that he is at the time. Same thing with Sarah. Sarah was walk, walking out a parable as well. A parable of Mary. Okay? So, my beloved son, right? The one and only. That was what Isaac was to them. So, she had to be barren all those years. She had to be post-menopause because she was walking out the parable of Jesus Christ, my only begotten son, being born through a virgin. Isaac was their only begotten son. How many years did she think she was cursed? Barrenness back then was a curse. But she didn't understand. She didn't see. So when you find yourself in delay, the opposite of what God has promised you, you got to pause. you got to ask, wait a minute. Am I in a parable? So rebuke the devil. Ask questions. Ask God to show you a new level of himself. And here's the other thing. Your progress will come out of the process. So the process of the parable of walking in obedience when it doesn't make sense, of believing when everything else is saying just stop believing. All of that is a collection of lessons so that the next time you're faced with something similar, you have it recorded, right? But also you're able to then pass the same lessons on to others who are going through it. So it's rebuke the devil, ask questions, ask God to show you who he is in this, and then write your lessons down so that you can help others in the future. And if someone could write those steps down, uh, I would appreciate it because I could then... Um, so number one, rebuke the devil just in case it's him. I'd like to have this as a post. Number two, ask questions. And I'm not, when I say ask questions, I don't mean blame God questions. You know, it's stuff like, what do you want me to learn? Am I in a parable at this time? You know, like things like that. Number three, ask God to reveal a new aspect of himself to you. And then number four, record the lessons. Write them down. I've got so many lessons from our financial journey. I got so many lessons from health journey. I mean, there's so many things where the enemy, want, and actually those lessons 
came from, some were attacks, some were lack of wisdom. They weren't even parables. But uh, I still was able to capture some things that help people to this day. Um, write down the lessons learned, mm -hmm, what he's teaching. Okay, now, I'm not going to turn there. I just want to read this in 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. As a result of our ministry, you are living letters written by Christ, not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not carved onto stone tablets, but on the tablets of tender hearts. So that right there is my scriptural proof that our lives are living epistles, letters to be read by all men. So again, are you living out a parable in front of somebody and your faith, your joy, all of that is a lesson for them and it brings hope. We are apostles of hope. That's what you want to bring to people. Okay? Alright. So I've already talked about Sarah. Um, another parable is living in the promised land. Can you imagine? You're living as an alien in the land that God says is yours. I have to say, I feel like my whole life has been living in a parable when it comes to <clears throat> the promises of God. It's like I can see the land. I can see what He wants to do. I can measure it. I can tell you how wide it is. How, you know. But I'm not yet in that reality. <clears throat> Am I building for the next generation? Possibly so. And that's fine with me. But I will die on the word Clovis is his. Whether I have to pass that on to somebody else, I will. If I have to pass on the word, the promise that Clovis will be a prototype for other cities throughout the country to prepare for the end of the age, refuge, refuge uh, cities of light where others may grow dark, but this one will be light. If I have to do that, that's fine. Uh, if I approach toward the end of the time, I'm going to have somebody that will be able to take up the baton and do the very thing that I died knowing was a reality before I ever saw it. So Abraham, he walked this path of living in the promised land that God said is yours as an alien, as a stranger. And by the way, he was a legal alien, just in case anybody's wondering. So there's several things to learn from this. Number one, discern what a demonic attack is and what a parable or a short story is in your life. A very, very plain way to know is the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to bring life. You might say, well, Abraham was about to kill his son. Well, here's the thing. Isaac was actually in his early 20s. Mm -hmm. By choice, he laid down on the altar. By choice, he trusted his father. By choice, he trusted God. Okay? So, he had to personally choose to trust both dads. When we're living in our parables, we have choices. Wisdom makes those choices in faith and based on the trust and the revelation of who God is. The enemy tries to take away choices. Okay? So the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If that's happening, right, it's not the Lord. If you don't have choices all of a sudden, that's not the Lord. When you're in the midst of a parable, you may be wondering what's going on, but you still have choices, and there's a life that is involved in the process, and you can fill God with you. Number two, 
Be open to a new revelation of God that you've never seen. After Abraham took the ram and offered it to the Lord, he called him Yahweh Rophe, the Lord will provide. But here's what it also means. The Lord will see to it. You know, there's a lot of prayers I pray where I'm like, Lord, please see to it. It's beyond me. I don't know how to fix it. I don't have any answers. And so I'm like, hey, I, you know, I'm like that anyway, but you know, there's some that are kind of like, wow, you know, this is too big for me. Um, I, I don't even know where to start. I ask that you just fix it or do whatever you need to do. <laughs> and that's kind of like, I'm not commanding him anything. I just trust him that if I'm in a situation where I'm not hearing maybe exactly what I need to do, there's different directions I could go, or maybe I made a mistake that's impossible for me to fix, then it's like, Lord, I asked you see to that. Here's the other thing. That name is the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. A lot of people use that name to apply just to finances, although that can apply, but the, the whole crux of it is they were living a parable, right? Of Jesus Christ, God becoming man, and coming and providing himself as a sacrifice to see to the sin problem. Don't you think that people that are performance-based that are feel like they are having to provide some kind of a service are they probably have a hard time with that mm -hmm. because in order to say you just take care of it then that means they have to drop the responsibility that they're feeling oh yeah mm -hmm. and it also means they can't control it exactly they have to you know let that go and trust you know control is a response to fear mm -hmm. anger is a response to loss of control if you feel you have to control the narrative and control everything else, then you're in fear. When you say, Lord, I ask for you to see to it, all of a sudden you're relinquishing control, right? And you have to put your trust. And people don't want to do that. This is a good, uh, I don't know if you, uh, Dutch Sheets had just one little deal that just stood out to me. And Because we were talking about hope. Mm -hmm. What was that, yes. two weeks ago? Yes. And, it's, and there's two words for hope. One's an expectancy. And the other was a cord or a thread. And the quarter, the thread that attaches you to what the oh, end good. result is. So you have to be able to have that little thread, that little hanging on by a thread. Well, and pull it in. Okay. So there's and, an active participation. You're right. not just hanging there hoping it doesn't break. Exactly. You're actually bringing what you're expecting to it's you. It's attached to Very that good. end thing. So that's where the anchor comes in. Exactly. When that, just that little so nugget. Good. That little nugget. So good. good. Okay, be quick to obey, especially when it doesn't make sense. Abraham rose up early in the morning to take Isaac. He even told Isaac, when he noticed no offering materials, that God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, displaying the faith he had that motivated him to take care of the task at once. Often, procrastination is a byproduct of fear. Allow your parable time to encourage others at all times, before, during, and after. Number five, don't misjudge the time you're in. Those questions of when and why can be dangerous to the process. There's no faith without mystery. The only thing you need to meditate on is that God is faithful, God is good, He always does what He says, He's not a liar. And number six, learn from the parable. What lessons did he teach you? What areas should you be proud of? And what are the areas you can grow? Okay, let's look at uh, verses 20 through 22. 
in Hebrews, it says, The power of faith prompted Isaac to impart a blessing to his sons, Jacob and Esau, concerning their prophetic destinies. Jacob worshipped and faced reality at the end of his life, and leaning upon his st staff, he imparted a prophetic blessing upon each of Joseph's sons. Faith inspired Joseph and opened his eyes to see into the future, for as he was dying, he prophesied about the exodus of Israel out of Egypt and gave instructions that his bones were to be taken from Egypt with them. Okay, so at the prophecies recorded or the prophecies of Jacob are recorded in Genesis 49 so Jacob gave those prophecies by faith but also when it talks about how um, uh, Jacob, Jacob worshipped in faith's reality I like that worshipped in faith's reality he leaned upon his staff and he imparted a prophetic blessing on each of Joseph's sons the reason that took faith is Manasseh and Ephraim Manasseh was the firstborn. Ephraim was the, the secondborn. So the way he was supposed to do it was give the firstborn blessing to Manasseh and then bless Ephraim. But instead, he crossed his hands, remember? And so Joseph, like any deep personality, was like, oh no, Dad, you got it wrong. Moved his hands to the right son because he thought he couldn't see, right? So he's trying to help. And Jacob, I can just imagine he's old at this point and probably a little bit cranky. He's like, look, Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. So he puts his hands back on the sons. He saw into the future. What's interesting is that blessing re, re, uh, decreed, released in faith is actually what years and years and years later, if you go down in history, uh, is what caused the ark to dwell in the tribe of Ephraim. Okay? So he released the prophetic decree. And then the Ark of the Covenant was located in the city of Shiloh. And uh, there was the uh, tabernacle of Moses was there. Eli was a high priest. His sons were the perverts running the um, tent. And uh, because he did not discipline his children, by the way, that entire line was cursed forever. In fact, if you fast forward to Saul and he killed the priests in the, uh, the city of Nob, they were descendants of uh, Eli. And so here we have the prophetic word Jacob gave to Ephraim. The ark dwelt in Ephraim for many, many years until it was taken by the Philistines until the appointed time where it was brought into the city of David and a tabernacle of David was built. Interesting, huh? The power of words and what you decree. I was sitting in this room today. I decreed it over and over and over at the furnace. Over and over and over. Okay? All right. 23. Faith prompted the parents of Moses at his birth to hide him for three months because they realized their child was exceptional and they refused to be afraid of the king's edict, which is interesting. They weren't afraid of it. Faith enabled Moses to chew God's will, uh, choose, not chew. I'm sure he did chew on it, but choose God's will for although he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make that his identity choosing instead to suffer, suffer mistreatment with the people of God. Huh. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? To suffer mistreatment with the people of God. Moses preferred faith certainty above the monetary, momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasures. He found his true wealth in suffering abuse for being anointed more than in anything the world could offer him. For he looked with wonder, not on the immediate, 
but on the ultimate, <coughs> faith's great reward. Holding faith's promise, Moses abandoned Egypt and had no fear of Pharaoh's rage because he persisted in faith as if he had seen God who was unseen. Now, you know what? He may not have feared his... It's the fans, sorry, Mike. He may not have feared the second Pharaoh's rage, but he sure feared the first one because he ran. Right? So it took an encounter, the burning bush. It took an encounter, and all of a sudden he had no fear. And he went back to Egypt. Now, he did fear he'd stutter, make a fool of himself. I think it's interesting that Moses' parents, they chose, they refused to be afraid. Mm -hmm. It was a choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, because we think of that fear as not being a, something that we can we choose any, to step out yes. of. Yep. You know, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of heights, and that's just the way it is. I'm afraid of, you know, whatever, bunnies or whatever it is. Snakes. We feel like, yeah, that that is something that just overcomes us, and we have no no uh, choice over the matter. Right. But it's saying right here that they refused, basically, t to be afraid. So I think, you know, at some point, we can be overcomers of any fear we have. At yeah. That, at that time, the king was the sample. And... I Talking about the Moses time, had it and went and saw Abraham. Well, Abraham was dead. No, Abraham. That was Abraham. Oh, okay. Um, so I want to break this down. Faith prompted them to hide Moses. Sometimes you do need to hide. Uh, faith enabled Moses to choose God's will. He refused to be uh, to make Pharaoh's house his identity. Faith enabled him to suffer mistreatment. I think with his own people, but also from his own people. Faith was so certain to Moses he preferred that versus the momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasure. What does this tell us? This is important. That sin's uh, appear, appearance, I think is why. Let's see. Hang on. Hmm. I'm not sure what I meant to say in here except that sin appears uh, favorable to those who are in doubt. Okay, so if you have doubt, if you have unbelief in who God is, sin becomes attractive. That's what uh, I wanted to put, but for some reason it makes no sense in my notes. He saw suffering through the eyes of wonder of faith's great reward, making suffering seem insignificant. Faith held tightly to Moses and it helped him abandon Egypt. And faith kept him persistent. All right. Faith stirred Moses to perform the rite of Passover and sprinkle lamb's blood to prevent the destroyer from harming their firstborn. Faith opened the way for the Hebrews to cross the Red Sea as if on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to cross, they were swallowed up and drowned. Faith pulled down Jericho's walls after the people marched around them for seven days. Faith provided a way of escape for Rahab the prostitute, 
avoiding the destruction of the unbelievers because she received the Hebrew spies in peace. Now, I want to make a real quick um, statement here about uh, her. Um, Rahab, the reason she had faith is she believed the stories. She heard the stories of what God was doing and she believed in them. And I wonder, I don't know if during that time, if the prostitutes back then were like, were they actually priestesses too? Like, you know, a lot of those ancient cultures, like in Corinth, you know, the whole shaved head thing was because the priestesses would shave their head, and that's how you knew they were a priestess. But they were also uh, temple prostitutes. So I don't know if Rahab was a temple prostitute worshiping another god or if she was just a prostitute in general. But what we do know is she heard the stories and believed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Okay? So that's interesting. So faith responds to the word with action. And what more could I say to convince you? For there is not enough time to tell you the faith of Gideon, uh, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened unto their promises and pulled them into reality. I love that. It was faith that shut the mouth, uh, mouth of lions, put out the power of raging fire, and caused many to escape certain death by the sword. Although weak, their faith imparted power to make them strong. Faith sparked courage within them, and they became mighty warriors in battle, pulling armies from another realm into battle array. Very interesting. Faith-filled women saw their children raised from the dead in resurrection power. Yet, it was this, it was faith that enabled others to endure great atrocities. They were stretched out on the wheel and tortured, and they didn't deny their faith in order to be free uh, because they longed for a more honorable and glorious resurrection. Others were mocked and experienced the most severe beating with whips. They were in chains and imprisoned. Some of these faith champions were brutally killed by uh, being stoned, uh, being sawn in two, and slaughtered by the sword. That was actually Isaiah. They cut him in two. And when I say uh, stoned, I meant stoning. I'm not referring to cannabis. I'm referring to they were stoned as in rocks being thrown at them. Okay? These lived in faith as they went about wearing ghost skins and sheep skins for clothing. They lost everything they possessed. They endured great afflictions and they were cruelly mistreated. They wandered the earth living in the desert wilderness in caves on barren mountains and in holes on the, in the earth. Truly the world was not even worthy of them not realizing who they were. Okay, so I want to break down a couple things before we finish. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. How? Paul tells us their faith fastened unto their promises and pulled them into reality. The only way you're going to see the promises of God fulfilled is using that thread that Kathy was just talking about. You've got to pull it into your reality. People that are like, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord, or maybe it's His will. That's bunk. It's lazy Christianity. You have to exercise your faith in order to get its reality pulled into yours. Okay? That's the it. Or the it. That's it. The end. That's how you do that. So this waiting on God to do His promise is a myth, and it will keep you disappointed, disillusioned, and you'll probably think that God is dissing you, right? 
So just make sure that you understand you have an active participant role. Well, and I think a lot of times when we talk about this faith out there, mm -hmm. a lot of people have no clue what they ought to be even hoping for. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, you've got to have some kind of reality to attach to. Just the basic tenets of what Jesus paid for. To trying to convince people that they're no longer a sinner once they're born again. Trying to convince people that they were already healed at the cross. That's it. Trying to get people to believe those basic tenets. Mm -hmm. And then to even go beyond. But just like you were talking to. It's almost impossible. That, you, that your hope, you've got that set aside to that Clovis is going to be God's. Mm -hmm. You've attached to that. Oh yeah, it's a done deal. Mm -hmm. And how many people aren't attached to anything? And right. they're kind of wandering, wandering around, around out there. You have to have an anchor. Freedom exactly. is never a boat without an anchor. And those are the people that just say, you know, I'm just kind of bobbing along on the river of life. And it's taken me here and it's taken me there. And they're not even, they're not attached to what their, their destiny is. Mm -hmm. They're not attached to what God has for them. Yeah. Or even what they want in the future. <clears throat> if you say this, if, you know, if I was going to say to Margie, what do you want in the future? She wants her, I know, she wants her family to all become Christian born again, to born spiritual. again. Mm -hmm. spiritual. I know that. Yeah. I don't have to, to guess, you know, that's one of, probably one of her many strings she has out there. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of people, if I said, you know, what do you even have your hope attached to? It's nothing because they haven't even presumed whether it's hope deferred yeah. and they've been disappointed. So they're afraid to cast that out. Yeah. They don't have their hope attached to anything. Anything. And then on top of that, so let's say that someone maybe starts kind of seeing what they want. Because, you know, without perfect vision, the people cast right. off restraint, right? Right. But the other thing is, then you're taught doctrine that makes you wonder if it's God's will or not. So how are you supposed to believe anything? Like Mike has this saying years ago. He comes with these sayings <laughs> that all of a sudden you stop and they're hilarious. The way they're phrased, and he goes, if I say it's Easter, paint those eggs. <laughs> That's how God is. But some people are like, well, I mean, do they use eggs for Christmas? Maybe Valentine's Day? Did Cupid have eggs? What if it's not Easter? What if it's actually Valentine's Day and we're supposed to have eggs for Valentine's Day? Do we really know the will of the eggs? Is it supposed to be Easter? Is it supposed to be Christmas? Wait, no, I know it's none of those because they're all pagan holidays. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like... People don't know if God is saying it's Easter, paint the eggs. Mm -hmm. And so they, they wonder and they don't have any faith for anything. Or if they do have faith, they start out with mental assent. And it, faith is always heart. It's always God's faith. So, but good, I think, points, you know, good points. Yeah, that sometimes, and I think even I kind of came to that realization that sometimes I need to firm up. Well, not your just, focus, yeah. Yeah, not just kind of a hazy -o, you know, it's just like, oh, I'll go to heaven. But what is that going to look like? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if I want this, what's, what's it actually going to look like? You <laughs> yeah. know, what are you going to do with this one wonderful and wild life you're right. mm -hmm. You know, so if you're going in a direction, what does that direction really look like? Mm -hmm. Not just that I'm going that way. Right. You know, right. I can start out walking, but it would be really helpful if I knew where I was walking to. People will, you know, if anybody ever asks me, why were you born? I can tell them yeah. with no problem at all. Everything I do is filtered and going toward that. Everything. Everything is calculated. So if people are like, you know, why are you born? Well, uh, 
I am born, it, here's what my statement is. I make tens of thousands of dollars a day from online courses, masterminds, planners, merchandise, and other elite and excellent products and services. I am a millionaire now with an assigned kingdom purpose. Okay, so what's my vehicle? It's my business. What's the assigned kingdom purpose? The apostolic raising up marketplace apostles who will be influencers and have the ears of kings. So my next confession that I write out and I say is, I am raising up a prophetic company of marketplace apostles, influencers and solutionaries who are able to go into the seven mountains and solve complex issues and who have the ear of kings or ears of kings. That's why I'm born. So everything, podcasts, mm -hmm. the work I do with my clients, the things I develop online, the planners I just got done developing, everything is going toward that center goal of raising up an apostolic company, a prophetic company, to solve problems, right? So that is why I'm born. Mm -hmm. If you don't have it that clear, if you don't know why you're here, if you're not going to dream with God and say, you know, I'd really like to do this. Like, let me give you an example. By the way, I need the Ecclesia word if you have it. Uh, I need to get that typed out. <laughs> uh, the word that y'all gave for female 012 is me. And uh, it was funny because we, we talked about last week. And Doreen was like, God didn't tell me. I'm like, yeah, because I told him not to because you keep knowing what I'm up to and you're messing up my plans. So anyway, she got, now this is interesting. She got, she goes, you know, I, I just got to quit thinking about it because I'm, I'm going to erase it. Like it doesn't make sense. It's weird. But I keep hearing the word sing and I keep hearing the word song. Like sing song, melody, uh, write music maybe, guitar lessons. You know, she had no idea it was me. So then whenever... I said, hey, last week, that was me, or the week before. She's like, well, that doesn't make any sense because song and sing song and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you had no idea. One of the things that said in there is a dream that was in your heart as a child. The first thing that came to my mind is I always wanted to play an instrument, always. That's the one dream okay. I've not fulfilled yet. I've been praying for someone that can just come and play worship live with a guitar. And I told them, I, I, I made a commitment, I said, Lord, you know me, I'm not going to ever ask you to do something if I'm not willing to be that person. I'm 48. <laughs> can you teach an old dog new tricks, right? We, we hope. So I was going back and forth. Lord, is this me? Is this not me? And so I, I go to put the word together, and I'm like, this is me. So what I do, I immediately, Kent, can you advise me on how to make this happen? Because I want melody. You have to have melody. And it has melody in there. It's like asking me to fly a plane. I don't even know where to start. So the Lord's like, Mom, the Lord, Kent, it's like, Mom, go to Udemy or Skillshare, purchase a couple of courses on beginning guitar, because uh, it was guitar, it's very specific. And start there. You can borrow my guitar. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do it right now until I finish my, you know, planners and things. I'm going to go for it. There's another thing that's added, right? That's why it's so important to look at your prophetic words. You've got to know why you're born. And here's the other thing. 
The Lord cares about your desires. Oh, and I think he cares too, about it. If you don't know, all you have to do is ask for revelation of them. I mean, it's not like we've got to sit there and do 3,000 things and jump through 3,000 hoops. Just right. ask. Well, one of the, and be the, open. the question you can ask right from the start, which we did in that destiny training, is you can, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? That's usually an indicator. It may not look the same. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be a detective. I'm not going to be a detective. I'd be bored to tears. I don't want to see dead bodies. But I'm doing a true crime podcast. When I was a little girl, I wanted to work with the cash register because I thought they were so cool. I'm now working with the cash register at the store. Okay, so all of those things are playing themselves out in an adult way. What did you want to be when you were growing up? I actually have two that I want to fulfill. Um, one was learning a musical instrument. Okay, let's finish up with verses 36 through 40 and we'll be done with this uh, chapter. Uh, let's see. These, I'm sorry, 39. These were the true heroes, commended for their faith that they lived in hope without receiving the fullness of what was promised them. But now, God has invited us to live in something better than what they had. Faith's fullness. This is so that they could be brought to finish perfection alongside of us. He was never... What, what this is saying, guys, is that all of these saw the future Messiah. They all saw it. They saw the promises and what came along with Him coming. But God was saying, no, you cannot have a fulfillment of those promises in fullness without me bringing alongside my born-again people. When right? he talked about Joseph and when he was doing that blessing, or uh -huh. Jacob, rather, and uh, he was uh, prophesying about the Exodus, I looked down and in the notes it said that the word was remembering. Mm. Like he had already seen it and he was just telling, you know, I remember when I saw it. Yeah. It hadn't happened yet. Yeah. But he was remembering yes. it. Yes. Yeah. His reality is so real that to speak of it is you're speaking of it as if it's past tense. And uh, so anyway, and remember the whole purpose of that is he's speaking to Hebrews that are facing death and financial ruin. So he goes through a whole list of specific heroes of the faith to the Hebrews, okay? And then he says, and they're too numerous. I mean, I can't talk about Isaiah who was sawn in two, and I can't talk about this person who was, you know, stoned to death. I can't talk about, all. time wouldn't allow it. The main thing is, these are your great cloud of witnesses. And you don't want to be one of those who is disqualified because you turn back or withdraw because of current persecution. So he's realigning their eyes to anchor into, to me the worst thing would to be born again, to be born again spirit-filled, and then you turn away from him for persecution and they're going to have to see his face. Like if Peter, if that was bad, you know, it's eternity. And now it's over. There's no redo. And so that's what he was trying to convince them. Of. Well, and that brings out that they overcame by the, the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. And that's mm -hmm. so even though these people that had been born thousands of years ago, or many hundreds of years ago, just depends on where they are in, in the history line. Yeah. Their their word of their testimony has even it, is current to this. I see day. what you're saying. The word testimony means to remember as well or to do again. Right. So when you ponder and read the testimonies when you hear testimony it's reseeding the present to do it again 
And so that's what he was doing. If they can do it, you can do it. Right? Yeah. All right. Anything else? Any other thoughts before we take up our tithes and offerings? All right. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God. We thank you for the testimonies that are in it. And uh, I pray, Father, that whether it's testimonies written in the Word or whether it's testimonies that we hear from another person, that we always have, I guess I would call it an active spirit, that when we hear the testimony, it's like we are actively, like, like uh, Kathy was saying, where you've got how hope means two things, expectation, but also the, the thread, and that when we hear the testimony, we attach our hope to that reality and we begin to pull it into our future. That we live in the reality, we worship in the reality of what faith is. And, uh, and Father, I think that to me when you have apostles of hope, when you have people of faith, uh, that's the most attractive thing. It makes evangelizing so much easier because we don't look sour-faced and religious and any of that stuff. In fact, and Father, this is just me and you talking. If the church can, you know, will get into the faith, we'll make even Democrats look bad because they're starting to turn really sour and really fussy. And so I pray, Father, that your people become the most attractive people there is because within the Spirit there is liberty, there is faith, there is hope, there is love. And I ask that you raise up an army that they live in that exact reality and experience that any denomination or church that calls themselves Christian that's not living in that, that they'll either get so thirsty for it, they're willing to shift, or they will die off and the true will remain. So I pray, Father, that we be the most joyful, the most peaceful, the most hopeful, the most faithful of any. And that become attractive. And so, Father, this morning, out of joy and cheerfulness because you say in your word that you will not abandon nor do without or ever let go or let down a cheerful giver and this morning we're giving our tithes and offerings to you with cheerfulness it's our joy we're not doing it out of obligation we're not doing it out of the law we're not doing it out of manipulation or pressure we're doing it because we love to basically father declare our loyalty to you through something very tangible and that is money that very thing the enemy always wanted, we now take and give to you. We ask that Jesus Christ receive it where he is seated in heaven. Father, we give it as kings to a king. We thank you so much for making us a kingdom of priests. We thank you so much for stirring up the desires in our heart that you put in us, that you even care about a little girl's dream. We thank you for that. We give you honor and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I was telling Mike last night when we were driving the hot rod, uh, 